0: Tonight I want to talk to you on being a snob, playing favorites, and mistreating people. Being a snob, playing favorites, and mistreating people. I want you to notice in verse 1 the phrase, respect of persons. Now folks, I, I readily understand that that's not a phrase that we use a lot in 2017 respective persons what does that mean well it literally means playing favorites showing partiality to some partiality literally means an unjust bias in favor of one person compared with another another term we use is favoritism you ever known anybody to use favoritism sure it happens in families, doesn't it? By the way, the Bible is replete with illustration of people who showed favoritism toward one family member as opposed to another one. Can you think of an Old Testament illustration of somebody who did that or where that took place or where that happened? Probably for some tonight, uh, Jacob's name may have come to your mind. Remember Jacob's favorite? His name was joseph jacob made him a coat of many colors he didn't make that for any other of his sons but i want you to understand and remember that jacob if i could say it this way jacob got that honestly his daddy isaac played favorites and showed favoritism remember who isaac's favorite was it was esau by the way uh isaac got that honestly he got that from his father Abraham. Remember, Abraham had more than one son. Remember Ishmael? But between Ishmael and Isaac, who was Abraham's favorite? Isaac. This isn't my sermon, but that tells us, remember, that there are generational sins that we can pass down from one generation to the next if we're not careful. And it's often true that a parent's weakness and temptation Becomes their children's weakness and temptation. You see this in scripture. You see favoritism. We see that. We see that in families. But it's one thing to see it in families in the human standpoint. But it's another thing to see it in the family of God. Where we show partiality and we show favoritism based on criteria that God never wanted us to establish he says don't don't claim to be a believer and here's the point don't claim to be a true Christian or a true believer and then show favoritism or partiality to others as we get going tonight let me give you two unfortunate facts unfortunate fact number one listen carefully partiality does exist in the local church. We know that it did here in the first century. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing to a group of believers. And we know that he's writing in the context of a local assembly or a local church. Because he talks about, don't be this way when somebody comes into your church. Don't treat them with partiality. Don't treat them with favoritism. You, you esteem one for this reason and you disesteem another for this reason. It's in the context of the body of Christ. Our relationship as believers and how we not only treat one another, but how we treat total strangers. Someone new coming into the church, that's the context. So God says, I, 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 unfortunately, this exists in the church. And it's interesting. We know that it was a problem with these believers because how the Greek language is set up. He's using here what's called in Bible study terms a present active imperative. That means that it was already happening, and this was a sin, this was a situation that he's telling them, listen, he's not saying, don't he, he's, he's not saying don't let this happen. What he's saying is. Stop doing this. Stop showing favoritism. Stop playing favorites in the church. Stop showing partiality. Stop using things like someone's clothing, someone's wealth, someone's beauty, someone's charm, someone's personality, someone's ethnicity. Someone's socio-economic status. Stop using these things as a gauge to determine whether or not that person is worth your friendship, your kindness, your dignity, your nice treatment, your partiality. So unfortunately, this exists in local churches. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's a problem in 2017? Sure it is. It's been a problem in every age of church history. And it's been a problem and it's going to be a problem for every single local church. And I want to remind you tonight. Thank God for how pointed and how personal and how practical the Bible is. That it addresses these things. It's not silent on these issues. Now a lot of preachers are. But the Bible isn't. It addresses this mess. You know Why? Because God in his infinite wisdom knew that people like you and I, good people that love the Lord, would struggle with this from time to time. He says, my brothers, my brethren, stop doing this. So unfortunate fact number one, partiality does exist in the local church. Unfortunate fact number two, get this down if you would. All of us are prone to commit this particular sin of partiality. All of us are prone. Now we don't like to admit that. But the truth is we are. We all, we all feel the tug and the tendency to associate with some based on commonalities and to dis- disassociate with others based on things that we don't have in common. Based on things like Regions of the country that so-and-so may be from, well, I don't like that person. Well, how come? Because they're not like me. Well, how are they not like you? Well, they're from this part of the country and I'm from this part of the country. I just don't like them. I ain't never liked them. I don't have a good reason. I just don't like them. They're a Yankee or they're a redneck or they're whatever. I just don't like them. So we group people based on geography. I mean, that doesn't happen in church, does it? But well, I don't like them. Well, why don't you like so-and-so? Well, because they're just strange. They got a different personality. Y'all remember what Andy Griffith, uh, you, you remember this Andy Griffith episode? They're standing standing in front of the sheriff's uh, office. Main Street, Mayberry. It's Andy, it's Floyd the barber, and it's Barney Fife. And you know what they're doing? They're watching Ernest T. Bass run down Main Street. And Floyd the barber says, he's standing there like this, and he says, oh, he's different. And then Andy chimes in and he says, Yeah, he's a strange one. And then Barney, you can always count on Barney five to. He says, He's a nut. (laughs) Who was it that said that the gospel light sometimes attracts mighty strange bugs? (laughs) Is that true? Yeah, you know it is. But here's the deal. We know we're not the strange bugs, right? Right. Everybody else might be strange, but not us. Not us. Brother, I don't have a weird personality. I don't have a personality quirk. That's somebody else, not me. I don't like that person. They're different than me. Like oil and water. Don't get along. And we disassociate ourselves. We don't open up our group to them. This is a closed group. We'd never say it this way, but here's how we treat them. Through lack of an open arm policy. Well, you're really not wanted or welcome in my little circle. Well, let me ask you a question: Are we really supposed to be have? Are we really supposed to have circles, little circles, in the church? Question: Are we a privatized country club, or are we the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? See, when we close tonight, I'm going to show you a verse. I'm going to show you a verse over in Galatians that does away with the myth that is so prevalent in America about American churches. And that myth is that it's all right to exclude some in the church and to include others based solely on our own personal preferences when it comes to what we like and what we don't like and who we are like and who we like to lock arms with and rub shoulders with. And that's what verse 1 is condemning, gang. That's what God is saying very, very clearly. Do not claim to be a believer if you're going to build circles in your local church or in your life that you have excommunicated others from and banned them from being a part of. He's talking about partiality. So James addresses this vital issue head on. An issue that is as much a problem now as it was in the first century. So let me give you three thoughts tonight as we go through this text. I want you to hang with me. You're going to have to listen on purpose. And I pray God's anointing on all of us to go through this and to see Jesus and to see ourselves. First of all, notice with me what I call the commandment about partiality. There's a commandment here. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's in the imperative mode. It's a command. My brothers, by the way, he uses that term 15 times in this book. That's not coincidental, by the way. He does that on purpose. It's obviously by design of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's wanting to remind the body, listen, he's wanting to remind the believers the local church that we're a group of spiritual, redeemed, blood-bought family members. We're part of the same family. That's the family of God. He's our father. We've been redeemed and purchased and transformed by the power of God when we said yes to Jesus and repented of our sins. You were made part of the family of God. That means that every single blood-bought person in this world and in this room is part of the same wonderful family. One father. The Lord Jesus. And that's why you can look at any Christian and say with genuineness, my brother, my brethren, my sisters. You may not want to claim me, but I'll claim you. That's what he's saying. We all can claim one another because we're all part of the same family. And he says, don't have this kind of mentality where you profess Christ and profess salvation. And on the other hand, you're excluding people just because of some type of status. Get that word in your head and heart tonight. Status. We're all familiar with the culture of India and how India has their own castes system. And you ask Hemet and Becky Patel, you ask anyone familiar with that culture and in that Indian culture, nobody can break out of their caste. If you're from the poor, lower class caste, there's nothing you can ever do to break out of that. And if you're from the higher caste, then you do not and should not and are discouraged even from fellowshipping or even touching or having anything to do with anybody from a lower caste. They're called untouchables, the untouchables. You can't touch them, seriously. You can't get around them. You're not supposed to even affiliate with them. Could it be, though, that sometimes even as Christians, as believers that we have that tendency in our own mind we'd never verbalize it listen but in our own mind i'm afraid we have the tendency sometimes to create little caste systems in the local church and in our relationships with other people well you're from a lower caste or you know what you're okay you're pretty cool i'll let you you know you you i'll associate with you And he says here, he gives the command, he says, listen, stop doing that. Stop living that way. Stop using that as a philosophy of life. Stop making that part of your worldview. Don't claim to be a true Christian and then treat people with partiality. Treat everybody the same, he's saying, with the same kindness, the same respect, the same compassion, the same dignity. You see, professing the faith of the gospel means treating and viewing everyone with a sense of consistent consistent dignity and graciousness. Partiality and prejudice has no place in the body of Christ or in a local church. Whether it's racial, socioeconomic, spiritual, or physical, it has no place. Why? Listen, listen to this carefully. Because every single human being has the same characteristic that makes them significant. And that is the fact that every single human being is distinguished from any other creature in the sense that you and I alone as human beings are made in the image of God. The image of our Creator is stamped upon our conscience and our DNA. No other creature or part of the creation can claim that. Not animal life. There's no animal. There's no animal like a human being. Stamped with the DNA of God. And the image of God. We are image bearers of God. We're made in His image. Plant life certainly can't say that. Only human life. And a human being has God's image stamped on them. That's why we're for the sanctity, the sanctity, the sanctification, the setting apart of human life. It's set apart. It's sanctified. It's unique. That's why we stand against murder. We stand against the the premeditated, unlawful taking of a life. Why? Because it mars the image of God in people. And friend, for that same reason, we stand and God stands against partiality because it ignores the image of God in every single person. This kind of philosophy and this kind of attitude lived out to its natural conclusion basically is saying, well, this person is significant and this person is less significant. Based on what? Based on my preconceived statuses that I say are important. So if so-and-so gets upset, gets hurt, gets their feelings hurt, gets offended, then we're like, oh, I can't believe so-and-so did that. Because this person has significance. But if this insignificant person over here gets the same treatment, nobody thinks twice about it. Why? Because in our mind, at least, we've created this status of significance and non-significance. James says, God says, stop that. That's an affront to God. And that's nonsense. So let me, number two, look at verse two. Let me show you some characteristics of partiality. How is this characterized? What does God say about this? What are some of the characteristics of partiality revealed in the text? Well, I want you to look at it. Look at verse two. He kind of hits home here. He says, for if they come into your assembly, your church. It's the same word that they would use to refer even to the synagogue. It means a meeting place, a gathering place. So he says, if somebody comes into your assembly, your local assembly, that's the church, your local church, and watch this. Oh, it's somebody with a gold ring. They've got goodly apparel. Stop right there. The word goodly is a word that means magnificent. They've got magnificent clothing. I mean, brother, they're dressed to kill. They're decked out to the hilt. They look like a million bucks. They look like they're wearing a million bucks. They look like they got a million bucks. They're sharp. handsome, they're pretty they're attractive they smell good you know, they don't have that cheap cologne like CP wears <laughs> and they walk in so that's that's vista number one okay they're contrasted with Vista number two N- notice how he describes in verse two, Vista number two, watch this And then there come also a man in that has vile raiment. Now stop right there. Vile, vile raiment. Now that word vile there doesn't mean sinful. You know what the word literally means in the original language? Cheap. That's what it means. He said, so you got visitor number one and he struts in and strolls in the door and he's decked out, bro. But then you got this cat over here that kind of slides in the side and he's got cheap clothes on. <laughs> you could, you're like, man, some of us got cheap clothes on, right? I look good in cheap clothes, amen. And it's obvious this cat doesn't have what this other one does. He's not Affluent. He's poor. His clothes are cheap. He's not even, he may not even strike you as the sharpest bulb or the sharpest bulb, see? As the brightest bulb in the box or the sharpest knife in the drawer. So they walk in together. Keep reading verse 3. And you have respect to him that wears the gay clothing. Now please. You do understand, he's not talking about clothing of a homosexual, okay? That's not what he's talking about, friends. It just means bright clothing, expensive clothing. That's what he's referring to. And he says, you got this guy, and you go up to him, and here's what you do. You prefer the one that has the bright, magnificent Obviously, gaudy clothing that says to everybody, I am significant. I have some moolah. Look at me. I'm pretty intelligent. I've worked hard for my money. I am somebody. He says, so you respect this person and you treat this person differently. And here's what you say to him. Watch this. Oh, Verse 3, hey, why don't you sit here? Can't you see those ushers in that church that he's talking to? They're running around in the foyer. And look, they're trying to be the first ones to get to him and shake his hand. Oh, sir, I've got the the ideal seat just for you. Follow me. I'm going to show you where to sit. And they waltz that man up, and he sits right in the chief seat. I don't know where the chief seat would have been. You know, (laughs) there might be a difference in the most coveted seat than the chief seat. If it was our church, the most coveted seat would be on the back row. But anyway, (laughs) I love all of you. I'm just playing with you. That's why nobody is in danger of getting spat upon by Preacher Powell. All right. You don't have to bring your umbrella because I can't reach that far. I want you to sit right here, sir. This is our best seat we got here in our church. So glad to have you. Boy, we want you to come back and be with us again and again and again. But then they say to the other guy, Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you, I, you know? I mean, we're kind of full. Why don't you kind of sit over here? You can either stand up, because notice what it says. Hey, you stand here. Won't you just stand in the back? Or, I mean, I'll let you sit down, but you can sit right here on the floor. You can be my footstool. Just go ahead and sit on the floor. I mean, it's obvious you don't have what this other guy has. You're not as sharp as he is. You don't have the means he has. And so, therefore, you're not as significant in my eyes as the other guy is. And God says, no. Oh. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Treating people a certain way based on preferred status, that's partiality our preferences what we like and what we don't like what we think is significant and important and what we don't what they wear how sharp they are, how articulate they are, how cool, how popular, how friendly, how outgoing. And we use all these other things. And we use socioeconomic, we use racial, we use even geographical. We use all this criteria that God says should never even play a part in somebody's significance. God says don't do that. Don't let that be what you base, how you treat somebody on. Don't base it on preferred status. Then he goes a step further and he says, listen, what I'm talking about is treating people, number two, treating people a certain way based on reciprocal favoritism. Now hang on, reciprocal favoritism. That's what he's referring to in verse 6. Because notice what he says in verse 6. He says, he says look, you, you've treated this rich guy like he's something else, but then you've despised the poor. You've disesteemed them. Why? Because, man, everybody knows poor people don't have anything to offer you. Right? They can't do anything in return for you. But this wealthy fellow can. Isn't that sometimes how we feel? At least the pull, the tug of our carnal nature. Here's what we think. Now, we never say it out loud because it's unspiritual too, right? But here's what we think. I'll tell you what. That one fella, boy, he's got some means. And if I scratch his back enough, what? One day he might scratch mine. If I treat him good, maybe the day will come and he'll treat me good. But the poor? Nah. I ain't worried about them. They don't have anything to offer me. Reciprocal favoritism. I'll treat you good because I want you to treat me good. I'll butter you up because I want you to butter me up. I'll pay you a compliment because one day I think you're going to pay me one. Hey, I'll let you in my group because I one day want to be in your group. But I don't care about those that don't fit my classification. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about treating somebody a certain way based on what they have or don't have to offer you. And then finally tonight, I give you what God gives us here the cure, the cure, the cure for partiality. And based on what he says in these verses and how he goes through them, friend, that's the only way that we're going to... It's through understanding the truth. It's through understanding and applying the truth of God that sets anybody free from error and from a lifestyle and choices that are self-destructive. So he gives us the truth right here in these verses. And I want you to see it. I want you to see some steps to take to overcome this temptation... Are you still with me tonight? Say amen. Step number one, listen to this. Remember that partiality is characteristic of a carnal, ungodly philosophy. That's what he says in verse four. He says there, and he makes the reference to the fact that these Christians, when they acted this way, that they were acting as evil judges, judges of evil thoughts. That's the word that he uses. And what he's referring to is is a sinful, wicked way to make an evaluation. You make an evaluation of somebody just based on their outward status. He says that's not what you're supposed to use. You choose to either mistreat or treat somebody based on... Outward criteria, not based on the fact that they have dignity because I, the creator God, put my stamp and my approval and my very love and likeness and significance on them because they're my creation. You see, God says here it's wicked, it's wrong, it's carnal, it's ungodly. Man, I don't like to think of it that way though. It's funny how I have a way of justifying my sin when God never does. So he says, remember that partiality is carnal, it's ungodly. Number two, he says, remember that God values genuine faith and righteousness. Not status and class. Verse five, he says clearly, he says, listen, God is the one that has chosen these poor people. God chose them. They're just as significant as anybody else. They're they're just as much inheritors of the eternal promise as somebody that's the most wealthy person in the state. God, God chose them. Regardless of what their bank account says, a Christian is chosen by God. Has nothing to do with status, has nothing to do with human value. Faith and righteousness are what God looks at. So then he says, number three, remember and follow the royal law. <laughs> the royal law, what's the royal law? Look at verse 8. He says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. Now, where'd that come from? Well, it really came from Leviticus. came from the Old Testament. Did you know that God used that? God in Leviticus, that was the first place in scripture, and it's found multiple places. But that's the first place in scripture that we see it. All the way back in Leviticus. Where God gave that. Leviticus 19, 18, as a matter of fact. He says, now, if you follow that, you do well. And then he says, number four, remember that a violation in how I treat someone is as bad in God's eyes as a violation of all the law. You see what he says there in verses 9 through 12? He says, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. (laughs) He doesn't mince any words, y'all. He says, if you have this partiality and this prejudice, he says, you're sinning and you're convicted. That's what the word convince means. You're convicted by the law of God as a transgressor. And then he mentions two sins. He mentions adultery and he mentions murder. Now listen carefully. And he groups... The one that shows partiality, he groups that fella in with the adulterers and the murderers. And then he goes on to explain. He says, if you violate one point, it's like we're guilty of violating it all. Gang, let's be careful not to pick and choose our favorite pet sins now. And then he closes out with this verse 13. He says, remember that my treatment of others will in some way determine how I am treated. He mentions there, he talks about in verse 13, he says for uh, verse 12, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. In other words, all of us are going to be judged and evaluated by the same standard. That right there. That's the same standard, that's consistent, that's absolute. It's not my prejudices, it's not my preferences. This book right here is what we are going to be judged by when we stand in eternity. And so look at verse 13. In light of that, he says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy. In other words, he says that how you and I treat others is reciprocal. He says, if I don't show anybody mercy, then, buddy boy, I don't and shouldn't expect me to receive mercy. He's not teaching a work salvation. Listen carefully. He also makes the same statement about forgiveness, remember? Remember in Matthew, remember in Mark, he says that if you refuse to forgive others, listen, if you refuse to forgive the one who sinned against you, you shouldn't expect your heavenly father to show you forgiveness. He seems here to indicate that to a certain degree, God will express to us the same degree of mercy, kindness, and good that we express to others without partiality. Here's the bottom line. Exhibit love to everybody. through an impartial attitude. <laughs> now, that ain't popular. And that's not easy. That's biblical. I'm just going to show love to everybody. I'm just going to have open arms to everybody. So here's the takeaway. And this is in your notes. Make sure that personal prosperity doesn't shape our view and treatment of others. You see, it's easy if we've experienced some physical, tangible prosperity sometimes, we can allow that to shape and color our view of somebody else and their status if we're not careful. You see what I'm trying to say? Number two, love people and use things. Don't love things and use people. Because the greeters at this church right here in James 2, all they were concerned about was greeting that guy, putting him in the chief seat so what they could get out of him. God says that's wrong. And I want you to listen to Galatians 3. Listen now, listen as we close. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And we all say amen to that, that's the truth. You're not a child of God if you don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But through faith in Christ, we're all the children of God. Verse 27 For as many of you have been baptized or immersed into Christ, you've put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, the Holy Spirit chooses these segments of society that the Christian church in the first century was so prone to group people in. You had the Jews and the Gentiles, even as Christians, and they were separated. You had the slaves or the bond servants, and you had the free men millions of Jews, millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. And there were multitudes that came to Christ. And so here they are as slaves and they're sitting down in the same local church as men that were free. And the free men were hesitant to sit with the slaves and the slaves were hesitant to sit with the free men. And then he says, you've got the males and you've got the females. Or as one kid read, the Mollies and famales, okay? And even in the church, especially in the first century, they were segregated. God says, listen, in Christ, you're one. It's not rich and poor, you're one. It's not where I'm from this location and you're from that. No, 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 you're one. It's not I'm from this country, you're from that country. No, you're one. You're one. You're one in Christ Jesus. And so I close by asking you, live in the spirit of Galatians chapter 3. And may God help all of us to live the royal law and to do away with partiality.